listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us once more as we let the Bible speak into your hearts. This program seeks to bring the Bible to bear upon our lives in every circumstance, in every changing scene of life. We believe the Bible to be continually relevant. I'm recording this broadcast on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I'm mindful that it will be aired over the Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving is a wonderful opportunity for the believer to reflect again upon the Lord's goodness. We think back to the pilgrims and their arrival to these shores, and we're mindful how they considered the goodness of God. And Thanksgiving gives us this opportunity to thank the Lord for his temporal blessings, for the good things that we enjoy, food and raiment and shelter. That idea is at the very core of the biblical concept of contentment. Paul exhorts Timothy, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And indeed in Hebrews chapter 13 we read, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. At Thanksgiving we often think about what we have and what we enjoy. And yet at the same time, for some people, there is the, the wrestling with discontentment. For there are things that we would desire. Uh, perhaps they may be material things. Things of this world. And we are discontent with our lot in life. Perhaps discontented with our job or marriage or financial standing. Discontentment is sin. And in today's broadcast, I'm going to share a message that looks upon Christ as the perfectly contented man, therefore the one who can save us from the sins of our discontentment and also show us the pathway to living a life of contentedness before the Lord. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts today. I'd ask you to please turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel and the chapter 4. Matthew 4, we're going to read together from the verse number 1. The Word of God tells us, Matthew 4, verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, I shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Amen. May God be pleased to bless us in his word today and encourage our hearts together. Time has certainly flown. Here we are in a message looking at the tenth of these ten commandments in the series of the Decalogue and its importance when it comes to the matter of our time around the Lord's table. The tenth commandment is found in Exodus 20, verse number 17. Uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. We know the words in simple terms. Thou shalt not covet. In the positive sense, that is a command to contentedness. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So in the negative sense, thou shalt not covet. In the positive sense, thou shalt be content. And so our catechism in question number 80, what is required in the Tenth Commandment, the Tenth Commandment requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit towards our neighbor and all that is his. And then in what is forbidden, it says, the Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. That's the coveting side. A desiring of something that does not belong to us, something that is our neighbor. Negatively, thou shalt not covet. Positively, thou shalt be content. And so we live in a day that is really a tremendously prevalent sin. There is very little contentment in this world. In the days of advertisement, in the days of social media, we are being told all the time that we should not be content with those things that we have. There is the promotion of financial discontentment. You do not have as much as your neighbor. Therefore, you should desire what your neighbor has. We live in days when we are prone to physical discontentment. That my health is not as good as my neighbor's. And we covet our neighbor's good health. We live in days of relational discontentment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. But we're encouraged continually. You ought to seek a better wife, a better husband. We are challenged to be discontented. And yet the Word of God will make it clear that we are, be, we are to be content in the Lord's will in our lives. The Lord is pleased to do what we need and to give us what we need. I shalt not covet, but thou shalt be content. Now in our studies in the Ten, the Ten Commandments, we have certainly recognized continually our sin not just in one of the commandments, but in every single one of them. I, I, I trust it is my prayer that nobody left here in any given month and said, well, I'm not guilty of that one. 
We break all the Ten Commandments. Not only did we break them, we still continue to break them in our remaining sin. And certainly we all know the real struggle with contentment. No matter what your state may be, we wrestle to be content with what God has provided for us. How we need the blood applied. How we need that fresh forgiveness, that sense of the Lord as we confess our sins, being faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you come to the table today, I encourage you again, seek that forgiveness that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Your discontentment, unforgiven, takes you to a lost eternity. Your only hope is in forgiveness. So do not put discontentment to some lesser place in your mind. It's no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's a very internal, very personal sin. It doesn't wound anybody else. Yes, but it is an offense to the goodness and the kindness of God. It is an insult upon the very wisdom of God. And so we need forgiveness. But we've also noted in all of our studies in the Ten Commandments, we've noted that to be forgiven, not only do we need our sins forgiven and cleansed, but we also need a positive righteousness. That if we are to be accepted by God, not only do we need to be not guilty, we need to be positively good, positively righteous. So we need Christ's righteousness afresh. He is the end of the law unto righteousness of those who believe, Romans chapter 10. If we are justified, our sins are forgiven, but we are also accepted as righteous because of what Christ has done for us. He paid the penalty, and he also performed the duties of the law. In other words, if we are justified today, we are justified because Christ himself perfectly kept this 10th commandment. If Christ himself is not a perfectly contented man, then we are not saved. It is necessary that he personally keep every aspect of the 10th commandment for you and I to go to heaven. And so as you work your way through this, you think, well, in what sense is Christ a perfectly contented man? Well, I'm saying he, he, he was. The very declaration of our forgiveness and our justification implies that he was a perfectly content man. And if so, then there are certain things that we see in Christ that mark contentment. But before I get there, I do want to note an important qualification here. Because if Christ is perfectly content, then there are things that we see in Christ's life that are not a display of discontentment. And those of you who are part of the book club, we've wrestled through this. We've been discussing the book on contentment by Thomas Watson. We've, we've tried to discern. Sometimes we feel in our spirit a grief, a turmoil, is that a discontentedness with the will of God? Well, there are things that we see in Christ that indicate there are times when we can be grieved without being discontented. We read in John 13 regarding the Lord's betrayal by Judas when Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. The Lord is troubled in spirit at the reality that Judas is going to betray him. But the Lord knows that Judas is the son of perdition. 
He knows it is the Lord's sovereign will that Judas will betray him. And yet the fact of that betrayal troubles the Lord in spirit. Does that mean the Lord is discontented in the will of God? Well, I'm telling you, no. He's a perfectly contented man. We also read, when he looked around on them with anger, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 3, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He's grieved when he sees the hardness of the unbelievers all around him. And yet he knows that it is in the Lord's good pleasure to reveal or to hide these matters. That God, in his sovereign will, could have opened their hearts to believe. And yet chose that they continued in unbelief. And yet as he holds their unbelief, he's grieved for the hardness of their hearts. We're going to see today in Luke chapter 19. He comes to Jerusalem and beholds the city and weeps over it. Now, why do I take some time to think of this? Well, because grief over unbelief is not discontentment regarding the sovereign will of God. To be content in God's will is possible. And yet still we are grieved by sin against us and around us. And so we live in this world understanding that everything that God does is in his sovereign will. And we had this conversation, those again in the book club will know two weeks ago, we had this conversation. How are we grieved at sin around us? How are we grieved by the wicked laws around us? How are we grieved by all these things? How are we grieved by unbelief? Well, we know that all these things happen in God's sovereign will. And we don't argue with God's purposes at all. But yet we are still grieved as we see sin against us and sin around us. So you may be in a situation where you understand that God is sovereign in your life. But there are particularly testing providences. People are sinning against you. Or they are sinning in your life, in your circumstances. And their sin greatly impacts upon your life. It is possible and appropriate to be content in God's sovereign care of your life and yet still be grieved in your spirit by their sins. Those are not mutually exclusive. And Christ demonstrates that to be so. And that ought to be a comfort to some of you. For you're struggling and there are challenges in your life. And you wonder, God's in control of all this. But my heart breaks. Your heart should break. And in your broken heart, you say, the Lord, you do all things well. Both and, not either or. It's also the case that the Lord, when confronting God's wrath, is troubled in spirit. Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter 14, it says this. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. The Lord, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He knows it is the Lord's good pleasure for him to die upon the cross. And yet he's confronted with bearing the wrath of God and his soul is exceeding sorrowful. You should not be content when you're facing the wrath of God. That should trouble your spirit. 
Your spirit should not be marked by peace. Unsaved soul. If you look at this 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, but be content. You say, well, I'm pretty content. My life is good. I'm very happy with what the Lord has done in my life. But if you're outside of Christ, such contentment is a false peace. Christ shows what a sinless response is to the wrath of God. And your response to impending wrath in contentment is sinful, not sinless. You ought to be troubled and worried and burdened and lacking rest in your soul when you think that if you die out of Christ, you're going to lost eternity. That should trouble your soul. You should not sleep well in your bed. You should be deeply turmoiled. Christ facing the wrath of God is exceeding sorrowful. And so there are seasons when this biblical doctrine of contentment is not what we may think it is. And the Lord shows that in his life. But at the same point, I do assert clearly, the Lord is a perfectly contented man. And I show you that we've read Matthew chapter 4. Again, we could go to different places, but I want to show you that in the temptation of Christ, we see a display of the Lord's perfect contentment. And he shows his contented heart in the time of testing. Isn't that when contentment is greatly challenged? It's not so difficult to be content when all is well. But when life is challenging and difficult, then such seasons, they cause us to be greatly tempted in the realm of the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt be content. And then the Lord here in verse number 1, it is said that he's led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. A time of trial and testing. And what we see in this display of the Lord is the display of perfect, sinless contentment. He is content, first of all, to trust in God's provision. The devil comes to him. The Lord is in hunger, verse number 2. And the devil says in verse 3, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And the Lord's response in verse number 4 is the quotation of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He answered and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, we will often understand that the reference to the word here to be a reference to the Scriptures. And we might say, well, man doesn't live only by the physical sustenance of bread, but also requires the spiritual nourishment of the word. That's true. But that's a secondary spiritual application from the primary meaning of this text. You turn back to Matthew, or sorry, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and note the context here. It is the Lord dealing with the matter of them in the wilderness for 40 years. And the purpose of God to humble them, verse 2, and to prove them, and to know what was in thine heart. Verse 3, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, this the sense of the word manna, the meaning of the word, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. 
What's being said here? Well, it is that man is not sustained by the simple matter that harvest brings forth seeds and seed brings forth the grain whereby we can make bread. But rather we live we live continually dependent upon the sovereign provision of God for all those things. And the manna was used to illustrate that point. That if you live and breathe, you do so in the sovereign purpose of God. The manna was given to the people to show them that even though they'll have bread in the promised land, that bread will only come from the sovereign hand of God. It's a lesson regarding God's sovereign provision. And the Lord quotes that. He is not tempted to satisfy his hunger by recourse to the miraculous. But rather he is content to wait in God's sovereign provision. The Lord, who had nowhere to lay his head, is the embodiment of living by faith in the provision of God. He rests in God's provision. Secondly, he is content to trust in God's protection. The second temptation comes this way. He's taken to the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against a stone. The devil is saying, prove yourself. Prove yourself to be the Son of God in a right relationship with the Father. He correctly quotes the text, and he correctly quotes it and applies it to God's protection of the Son of God, the Messiah. True text. And yet the Lord says the devil is guilty of tempting the Lord. So what we see here, at least implied, is we see the Lord living by faith. He is content in his identity as the Son of God and does not need to prove that at this point. He is content in the assurance of his Father's love. He's content that the Father will care for him and protect him. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 13 is teaching us? That in our times of discontentment, we are to say, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the Lord, he is living in that contented state, assured that he is the Son of God under the care of his heavenly Father. And he need not fear that care, even though the devil would say, prove it. And sometimes, do we not find ourselves in that same sort of wrestling match of temptation? We go to the Lord, you say you care for me, prove it. Is it not the challenge that we ought to simply live contented in the situation that our identity is in Christ? That we are the sons of God? He cares for us? It doesn't need to be proven. In the third place, the Lord is content to trust in God's plan. He trusts in God's provision, God's protection, and in God's sovereign plan. The devil comes and once more takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
Of course, we know the Lord's reply, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. But the devil here is offering the Lord a shortcut to the kingdom. It's a false promise, but it is still the shortcut to the kingdom. And the Lord, the Lord is content in God's timing and God's pathway. We're seeing here the Lord's contentment to know that he will, he will be exalted, but his exaltation will be along a path of humiliation. Humbled himself, obedient to death, the death of the cross, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. He is the epitome of one content to wait for God, that God's timing is perfect, God's will is perfect, and also for us that we, through much tribulation, must enter the kingdom. Contentment in the will of God. I think it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge to our soul to see the sinless Lord as a model of perfect contentment. It's a challenge to your hearts that are we content with God's provision and His protection and His plan for our lives? Or are we content that He knows what He's doing and the Lord does all things well? But whilst it is a challenge, and it is a challenge, I certainly personally this week took the great application of comfort to be reminded again, Jehovah said, can you? The Lord is my righteousness. For as my heart, my discontented heart is exposed by Christ, I have recourse to run afresh to Christ's perfect righteousness and claim the promise again, my Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Christ was contented in a way that I have failed to be contented. I haven't kept the 10th commandment, and neither of you. And I struggle day by day to keep the 10th commandment, and probably so do many of you. Christ's righteousness includes perfect obedience to the 10th commandment. Jehovah, so can you, Lord our righteousness. Praise God afresh for the gospel today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.